Welcome to The Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today brings us to Matthew chapter 7, the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite! First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes, or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, and not as their scribes. This is the word of the Lord. So as we look at our text today, again finishing up the Sermon on the Mount, it starts with a verse that our culture loves to use. The United States culture has used the judge not lest ye be judged kind of statement to critique Christians and to try and silence Christians from preaching the law for, well, at least the entirety of this generation. But it's false. It's taking it out of its context. Yes, I mean, the text does say that. With the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. The measure you use, it will be measured to you. So God is going to judge you the same way that you judge others. Or we might even take this, the world will judge you 
your neighbors will judge you the same way that you have judged others. But the point is going to be, we are also sinners. So as we look at the sin of our neighbor, we're also sinners. There's a log in your eye and a speck in your neighbor's eye. You cannot, with that log in your own eye, see clearly to help your neighbor get the speck out of theirs. In fact, uh, the, the, just the brutality of the picture here, if there's a log in your eye, you're not alive anymore, right? Your, your head has been impaled, you're dead. That is the gravity of our sin. Thanks be to God that he removes that log from our eye. Thanks be to God that he forgives us, that he gives us life and salvation. Now, the picture here, notice this. First, take the log out of your own eye. This is going to get into repentance. And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. It's not judge not lest ye be judged, period. It's repent and love your neighbor. And that loving of our neighbor does include telling them the law. Just like if your neighbor's standing in the middle of the street when the truck is bearing down on them and they don't know the truck is coming, they're just having fun on their cell phone because nobody looks up anymore. It's not the loving thing to do to let them just keep playing on their phone and get hit by the truck. The loving thing to do is to either shout at them and make them aware that they're in danger or physically try to remove them from that danger. They might not like it, but we try. That's loving your neighbor. The world wants us to let them go on in their sin. That's not loving them. We at least warn them, as the prophet Ezekiel is told to do by God, that if he warns them, then the person's blood is just on himself. But if he fails to warn them, that person's blood is on the person, but it's also on Ezekiel the prophet for not having told them. Verse 6 is a little difficult. It seems to be probably best understood as the idea of fellowship. Don't give the dogs what's holy. Don't throw your pearls before pigs. As in, in the idea of the fellowship of being part of the church. So we've got the first paragraph about not hating each other, not judging each other falsely, but judging each other, discerning and love and trying to help each other avoid sin. So the, the idea of the closeness of the community, of being in fellowship with one, or, one another and not attacking each other. If we take the, the beauty of the church and we just toss it out to the road so it can be destroyed, what's going to happen? The devil's going to turn in on us and attack. Right? If we are constantly nitpicking and fighting and badgering each other within the church, that conflict is seen and it brings, it invites even worse things to come. And that's kind of the picture here that if you, dogs weren't pets at the time, they, they were scavengers in the streets and pigs are about what pigs were. Um, if you toss things of value before them, they don't care. They're going to destroy them and then they're going to come and they're going to attack you too. So if we toss the things of value away and instead just fight each other and devour each other, as Paul warns against in the book of Galatians, it opens up the attack for the enemy. The next paragraph, ask and it will be given, seek and you will find. Everyone who asks or sees, the one who seeks finds. This is a very difficult one for us because which of us has prayed and not received the answer that we wanted to our prayer? Family conversation. Does this mean we can ask for anything? 
in a separate question, but very much so related, why don't we always get what we ask God for? The answer to this is going to come in James chapter 4. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. When we pray for the will of God to be done, the will of God is done. When we pray for a a fancy new sports car, we're not praying for the will of God to be done anymore. We're praying for my will to be done. And at that point, we're not serving God. That prayer is not going to be met with the response that we're looking for. I'm not saying it's not going to be answered. The Lord might do things to bring us to repent, for example. But it's not a, a healthy prayer to begin with. So that's the picture that we, we were seeing here throughout the New Testament. If we know how to give good gifts to our kids, verse 11, how much more will our Father give us good gifts? And this is true. I'm a sinner, and yet I can care for my kids. The Lord has entrusted children to me. I get to raise them, teach them the faith. I get to put food in front of them. These are all gifts that God works through me. Um, And thanks be to God that he chooses to use a sinner like me as part of his family, part of his kingdom. If I can do this, if I can give them something good, even though I'm a sinner, how much will God, the Father, who is not a sinner, how much will he know how to do good in comparison? Verse 12 is the golden rule. It's even labeled that way in ESV. It's the one that we, we've heard many times, right? Whatever you want somebody else to do to you, well, you should treat them that way. That's actually a teaching of Jesus, even if our culture doesn't recognize it. This is the law and the prophets. That is the Old Testament scriptures. That was their name for them. It's a summary, just as Jesus summarizes the Ten Commandments and to love, your, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. 13 and 14 warn us that it's not easy to get to paradise. There won't be the majority of people there. A narrow way versus a wide way. This is all too true today, as we can see. Even if the numbers, the stats are true, that there are 8 billion people in the world, 6 billion are unbelievers, 2 billion are believers. I think the 2 billion is probably inflated. People who say that they're Christians, as we'll see later in the chapter, but actually aren't. I hope that's wrong. It would be great if there were 2 billion Christians in the world today. But even if there are, again, it's not the majority. It's only a quarter of the population. The way to paradise is narrow. Not nearly as many people are going that way. Because, again, we're sinners. We have a sinful nature. We love our sin. We we despise God in that. And we harden our hearts against him. But thankfully, the Lord chooses to rescue some. It's a mystery why he's chosen me. But thanks be to God that he has. The next paragraph, 15 through 20, is going to sound similar to John the Baptist preaching back in chapter 3. The idea that the axe is already laid at the root of the tree and ready to cut it down, cast it into the fire if it doesn't bear good fruit. Uh, So it is here that you will recognize people by their fruit. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes. That's just not how it happens. They're gathered from grapevines. 
So a good tree produces good fruit. A faithful person is faithful, does good work. Also, an an evil person who seeks to destroy your church, they're not going to do good work. They're not going to do faithful things. So beware of false prophets. You will recognize them by their fruit. Verse 21 through 23, Jesus warns us that not everyone who calls upon his name will be saved. And this is the same as Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 to 46, where he separates the sheep and the goats, that is, those who believe and those who don't. And he ends up declaring that those who, who cared for him will be in paradise, and those who didn't care for him won't. And the, the one group responds to Jesus asking, when did we see you naked and clothe you or in prison and visit you? And Jesus responds with whatever they had done for one of the least of these, they had done for him. The other group's the opposite. When did we see you in any of these things and not help you? Thinking it was only about serving Jesus when he had given them to serve their neighbor and they hadn't. They won't be in paradise. So is our text here. The one who does the will of the Father is in heaven. Love God, love your neighbor. The one who doesn't do the will of the Father won't be in heaven. He who rather loves himself, as we saw a lot in chapter 6. Lastly, then, Jesus gives the analogy of, of building a house. That the one who lives by God's word builds a firm foundation, whereas the one who doesn't live by God's word, well, his house is built on something that will not last. The storm comes, house built on the firm foundation, the rock survives. The house built on the sand, well, the sand shifts beneath the, the house and the house is destroyed. So it is all over us today, even in so-called Christian congregations that have rejected God's word, saying it's, well, more of a time for progress, that God's word must change. It's a very dangerous thing to say. I'm not saying that those churches may not still have Christians in them, but the churches themselves have left Christianity by doing so. They are no longer built on a firm foundation, but they are built on the sand. And we pray for them. Uh, We pray for repentance. We pray that they would bear good fruit. And, going back to the start of the chapter, we warn them of the danger of what they're doing, of the danger of removing God's word from their own midst.